Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. Well, I'll tell you, with the morning service that we've had so far, we ought to just stop everything and have a testifying service. Do you hear me? Church is singing about the name of Jesus, which we do every week. Uh, But then even just in these uh, last moments, just thinking about how wonderful it is that we can call on the name of Jesus. What a joy, church. What a joy. If you have your Bibles, would you open them with me to Romans chapter 15. One of our wonderful choir members said, Josh, if that one was free, does that mean you're going to take 10 minutes off your service this morning, your sermon? I said, keep on dreaming. Keep on dreaming. Romans 15 22 through 33 is our text today. We will finish chapter 15 today, and in the next two or three times that we are together in the book of Romans, we'll finish up this journey together. And I hope that it has been as a blessing for you as it has been for me. When I look at the book of Romans, when I contemplate the New Testament, I think about Paul, and I look at his ministry I come underneath an extreme amount of conviction. I mean, here you you see a man who, when he surrendered his life to Jesus, and by the way, what, what a conversion story right there, folks. On his way to kill the saints, and Jesus stopped him in his tracks, and he became on fire for the Lord. He would travel... Uh, We said this last week, over 10,000 miles in sharing the gospel with the rest of his life. There ought to be some conviction there because not many of us can say that we've done the same. I mean, for some of us, it's difficult to make the trek from the Sunday school class to the church. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, man. I'm going to get a letter about that. Okay. (laughs) Just put your name down at the bottom of it. We'll be all right. Uh, uh, You know... We, have, we struggle with that. Some of us, we look at Paul's life, 10,000 miles, and it's hard for us to cross the street. Share the gospel, isn't it? I mean, Paul is a man who was sold out for Jesus Christ. And his calling to be sold out is not just for him, but has been for all of us. So you say, oh, that's Paul, Josh. That's the apostle Paul. The same calling to go and share the gospel, the same call of surrendering my life is not on me as it was Paul. Yes, it is. Now, he had a specific ministry that God had called him to, but God has commanded us when we come to him and surrender our lives, get this, to surrender our lives. So when we look at the ministry of Paul in the New Testament, And we look at our lives, there's a great deal of conviction there should be. What are are you doing to share the gospel? What are you doing with your life for Jesus once he saved you? We sang about that this morning, about how he has saved us, how he's coming back to get us. What have you done in response to that? 
And the Bible says that we are all ministers. God has called each of us to minister, not only to his body in the church, but to go out and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And when we look at Paul's ministry, and when we look at ours, there is a giant difference. Maybe that's just me. But I have a feeling that's every one of us in here. Last week, we began to look in chapter 15 as Paul is wrapping up the, the bulk, uh, the, the main part of his message that the Holy Spirit has laid upon his heart and wrote through his hands onto paper for the church at Rome. And he is now wrapping this letter up. And last week, we looked at characteristics of Paul's ministry that we ought to imitate that we ought to desire to be more like. And that today in our passage, we're going to see things implicitly within this text, not things that are explicitly written, but things that are implicit within the text that I think we should use to apply to our lives, characteristics of Paul's ministry that we should be applying to our own ministry and our own lives. And so today, the title of our sermon is a continuing of last week, More Out of Ministry. Do you long to have more out of ministry? Oh, do you long to have more out of ministry, church? Do you long that there's more to this life? Whatever time God has given you, there's more to it. Desire more. Don't be satisfied with less. Because if you're satisfied with less, if that's your goal, you're going to hit it every time. You ought to desire more. And so Paul sets the example here, Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Asia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this task, I have delivered, uh, excuse me, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us today. As we study your word, I pray that you would speak through me. Anoint me for the preaching of your word now. Speak to your people. If there's anyone here today who's lost does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day they'd come to know you. And Father, for those who are here who are just satisfied with just ho-hum ministry in this world, satisfied with just getting by, Father, I pray that 
we would desire more out of ministry. And as we look at Paul's example here, Lord, would you convict us? Would you draw us to repentance? Would you draw us to a life of sacrificial service? In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Four points today that I want to take us through very quickly. Four characteristics of Paul's ministry that we ought to desire, that we ought to imitate in our own lives. If you're taking notes, number one, trust in God's providence. Trust in God's providence. Now, before we read this text, I think we need to ask this question, what is God's providence? You don't hear that word really in Baptist circles a whole lot. You won't hear it in, uh, in the church much today. So what is God's providence? And so I want to offer to you my definition for today. I think uh, a definition just based upon all that the Bible says of God's providence. God's providence is God's sovereign guidance and care over all of his creation. God's sovereign guidance and care over all of his creation. How many of you know God's in control? Say amen. 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 You know that God is on his throne, that he is sovereign, but you also know that he's working all things together. Everything that happens in your life and everything that happens in this world does not happen without the authority of the Lord Jesus. He allows these things to happen in this world. He is in charge. God is on his throne. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11, teaches us about God's sovereignty and his providence. In Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11, we are reminded of this. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Does that sound to you like a God who is haphazard and not on the throne? Does that sound to you like a God who's not in control? No, he says, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose verse 11 of that same passage he says calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my counsel from a far country I have spoken and I will bring it to pass what I have purposed I will do church I want you to know this this is important it drove Paul's life and it should drive ours God is sovereign and we ought to trust in his providence we ought to trust he is on his throne. He is causing all things, Romans 8, 28 says. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, that ought to be an amen right there. Once you have difficult times in life, I don't understand this. I don't understand why I'd be going through this. The world says maybe it's karma. Maybe it's something you deserve. Or you know what? Life just ain't fair. Bad things just happen. The world says, why would this happen to me? Most difficult situations, the best of situations, it's all luck, it's all chance. But for those of us who are believers, when we are in the most difficult scenarios in our lives, 
when we don't think that we can go any lower, we can claim this promise that God works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Paul trusted in God's divine providence that he was on his throne and that everything occurred in this life happened with God's authority, with him, his allowing it to happen. Daniel 2, 20 through 22 also speaks of God's providence. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. Who is that that changes times and seasons? Chance. Is it just the way he created it and left it alone? No. God changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Church, I want you to know that our God is sovereign. And you can trust in his providence. And that's what he's saying in verse 22 of our text. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 22, read with me. Paul says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. You see, Paul had been a busy man. Thousands and thousands of miles he had walked and sailed and went to share the gospel. He had been stoned. He had been left for dead. He had been out at sea. He had gone through all kinds of difficulties in this life, and yet he still trusted in God's providence. He was busy about the gospel work, but he had this in mind. He understood this. As he was out sharing the gospel, his heart longed to go to Rome and to meet those believers, to see those believers in the capital city of Rome but he could not make it. He says, this is the reason I have been so often, so often been hindered from coming to you. My heart has desired to come and be with you, Rome. But you see, God's on his throne. And he keeps moving me to different places. I'm trusting in his providence. Church, I want you to know something. There's sometimes there are things in your life that you may want to do that you can't do because you just need to follow God's providence. Can I get an amen there? There are things that you can say no to. There are things that you may want to do that you ought to sacrifice because of God's sovereignty and his providence. And I'm preaching to the choir here today, but, but I'm glad that you are in church. I'm glad that you've committed to be here. There's a thousand other places that you could be in this world, but you've chosen here today to be in this place, in this church. Praise the Lord and thank God that you've made that decision, but there are things that you often have to say no to, the wants, because you surrendered to God's providence. Paul says, I wanted to come to you, Rome, but I have been hindered. And that hindrance has not been chance. The word hindrance that's written here in the Greek is used of a ditch that is dug across a road that would keep an army from passing over. What he's saying here is it's God who's dug the ditch. And I'm just following him. I'm following his providence. When things happen in life that I don't understand, I trust in God's providence. Church, you can trust in his providence. His eye is on the sparrow. He's got his eye on you. 
You don't have to worry about these things. He's going to take care of you. You can trust in God's providence. On the second missionary journey that Paul was making, uh, we read of an of a instance where the God's providence really shows up in Acts chapter 16 and verse 7. Paul is wanting to uh, uh, cross over and go and share the gospel with a group of people. But in verse 7 of Acts chapter 16, Paul says uh, that when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not let them to go share the gospel with these folks. Sometimes God shuts the door, and you've got to be okay with that. Sometimes, I mean, now listen, not every shut door is meant for you to just say, well, he's going to open a window. Sometimes you've got to go, and sometimes you've got to go and, you know, wiggle the, the knob. Sometimes you've got to kick it in. But, but a, a closed door does not mean that God is shutting it all the time, but we should trust in God's providence. You can trust in God, church. If you have trusted in him for something as important as your soul and salvation, what are these other things in life? What's too important for you to put on his plate and say, I trust in you? Paul trusted in God's providence, and he lived through God's providence. As God opens up doors for us to minister in West Memphis, in Marion, as, as God allows, we will do that. We ought to follow God's providence. As God gives you opportunity to share the gospel with people around you, you ought to take advantage of that. We ought to follow God's providence when he shuts doors and when he says, when God says to you, no, you ought to be okay with that. When you get into bad situations in life that you don't understand, you can trust that he's on his throne He's sovereign. Number one, trust in God's providence. But in verses 23 through 24, I want you to see this aspect of Paul's ministry, this characteristic that we ought to take into our lives. Make a plan. Make a plan. Look at me in verses 23 through 24. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. You see, what we see Paul doing here is Paul is making plans. Planning is not lacking in faith. You know that church? There are some problems in, in the church today. There are two equal evils, I think. It's, it's those who, who plan and will not budge from that plan and those who believe that if you're going to follow the Lord, you have to be a spiritual hippie. No plans. Just flow and go wherever he moves. God gives us our minds. He gives us ideas. We're to be people who are planners. I'm not naturally good at that. I know I'm going to get an amen from the front row here. I'm not a good planner, uh, but when it comes to work at the church, I work really hard. Did you know that your staff, your ministers have gotten together, and we have prayerfully planned all of 2020. I'm talking uh, most of the sermons, probably 75 to 85 percent of, of what we're going to go through, our theme, what God has laid on our heart. We're doing that because God has given us minds and hearts to prayerfully seek Him and to plan Dwight D. Eisenhower said, in preparing for battle, I've always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. George S. Patton, another general in World War II, said, a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. And of course, you know, Benjamin Franklin once said, by failing to prepare, you prepare to fail. 
And y'all, I said that like a hundred times in the mirror before I came up here because I knew I was going to mess up that quote. So I'm very proud right now, okay? (laughs) By failing to prepare, you prepare to fail. God has given us minds. He's given us hearts to seek him and to plan. What Paul is doing here in verses 23 through 24 is he's making a plan. All right, I'm going to go and and take care of this very important thing that I'm doing right now. But my plan is I want to come your way and I want to visit you. And after that, I want to head to Spain. And I'm not going there to see the sights, brothers and sisters. I'm going there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who have never heard. We ought to be people who make plans. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, I'm not speaking of family vacations. I'm not speaking of finances. All these are important for you to plan. But you ought to plan to minister. Are you setting aside time weekly to minister to your family? Husbands, let me get real with you for just a second. Are you leading your family in prayer or Bible study? Are you checking in on their spiritual well-being? It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility. I fall so terribly short there, but I want you to know, brothers, we ought to strive together to lead our family, not just to take care of them physically, but spiritually. Lead your family to church. Lead your family in prayer. You ought to be planning this. It ought not to be haphazard. When I was growing up, it was a certain thing in the morning. My dad is an early riser. It makes me sick. Everyone in my family are early risers but me. And I am the black sheep of the family in that sense. Just let the, I'm going to sleep through that. But every morning at 7 o'clock, we had to be ready to go to school because at 7 o'clock in the morning, we were going to have Bible time together, family devotion. Men, are you, are you making plans to minister to your family? Are you making plans to be at church? If you don't make plans, things are going to come up. Well, man, I had this. Well, I guess you didn't plan on it then. You can plan on one thing, whether I'm pastor here or not, I'm going to be in church on Sunday. You better believe it. I made that plan. I made that commitment. I'm planning to be here, Lord willing, as long as God has breath in my lungs, as long as the uh, Lord gives me the ability, I've made that plan. Are you planning to minister to people in your neighborhood, sharing the gospel? Are you making those plans? Or maybe just, is it haphazard? Make a plan to minister. We see this so vividly in Paul. He's making this plan to go on to Spain. Write down in your notes, Luke 14, 28 through 30. We don't have time to go there today. But as we, if if you go and look at that passage, you'll see that Jesus even uh, commends people for planning and tells us that we as believers ought to be planners. But we ought not be people who plan and stick to that plan and never change from that plan. Because even though we've planned for 2020 as a staff here, we're saying, Lord, when you show up and you do something, we're taking a step back. We'd be glad to change everything when you show up. It's your show. We want it to be your business. This is your church planning that is subject to God's providence. Paul said in Romans 1.13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I have often intended to come to you but have thus far been prevented. See, he's relying back on that providence. He's trusting in God's providence. He's made a plan. I want you to be people who are trusting in God's providence, people who are making 
plans to minister. Number three, verses 25 through 28, I want you to prioritize generosity. Prioritize generosity. Verse 25, Paul says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Asia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. You see, Paul's desire to preach the gospel in Spain would have to wait. He wanted to go there to Spain so bad, but what he had going on right now is very, very important. You see, the church in Jerusalem, comprised mainly of Jewish people, was under persecution. And they were in a heavy trial. They were not able to provide for themselves. They didn't have the food that they needed. And so Paul, a minister to the Gentiles, had begun to go around to the Gentiles and raise up a love offering for that church that was suffering back in Jerusalem. And let me tell you something, tensions were still a little hot between the Jews and the Gentiles. You see, they had been saved, but as you are aware, God's still working on that heart. And not everything is where it ought to be. And the Jews still had some frustrations with the Gentiles. Why, why they're not obeying the law just like we had always been taught. And they've been struggling with that. The, the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles still had a little animosity. And what Paul was hoping, what he was praying, was that as they collected this offering for the saints, as the, uh, what was mainly Gentile churches would collect up these funds and send it to them, is that it would be a peace offering, a love offering. Look at what your brothers and sisters in Christ have done for you. They have sacrificed. They have given to you. They've displayed generosity in a time of animosity. You see, Paul was prioritizing generosity, not just with funds, but with the heart. I would love to say that this particular passage is about tithing. It's not. You ought to tithe. You ought to give. You ought to do that as you, as, as the, as you uh, are paid. You ought to do that proportionally. All those are very important. But this message, this particular passage is not about tithing. It's about being generous to brothers and sisters in Christ when they're going through difficult times. Hebrews 13, 1 through 2, tells us why we should prioritize generosity and loving and kindness, even to strangers. In Hebrews chapter 13, and verses 1 and 2, we reminded, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know, we ought to be people who are generous, people who are kind, people who are giving. God has given to you a whole lot. If you're in this room, you're in the top 1% of the world. We have riches that no one prior to us would have ever thought about. We can make phone calls across the globe. We can talk to people across the globe on Facebook. We get angry when, when our phones aren't working just right, when it's the newest, newest, latest, and greatest. And many people have, don't even have access to phones or anything reliable like that. We are to prioritize generosity, and especially, especially within the household of the Lord. 
especially within the church. When your brothers and sisters are going through difficult times, we ought to be people who help them out. We ought to be people who are generous. Again, we don't have time for this passage, but if you write down Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40, you will see here that God commands us to be generous to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have learned today that we should trust in God's providence. We should make a plan. We should prioritize generosity. And and let me just say before I go on this next point, I hope that you are prioritizing generosity. Wouldn't it be a shame to get to heaven and all that you've ever counted as everything is nothing and you didn't invest it in anything? Boy, I couldn't repeat that if I wanted to. You're going to have to go listen to that on the podcast. It sounded good, Brother John. They're going to have to go to our podcast and listen to it because I would get that messed up if I tried to re-say that. But you ought to be prioritizing generosity to those who are around you. Invest what is going to burn up one of these days into souls and to, and to others who are around you. Be generous. Lastly, in verses 29 to 33, Paul made this a characteristic of his ministry. I want it to be a characteristic of your ministry. Strive in prayer. Strive in prayer. Verses 29 to 33. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers on my behalf. The Greek word for strive here is taken from the word that we use for agonize. It's actually to super agonize. When's the last time that you agonized in prayer? And I'm not talking about when you're hungry at the end of service and people won't say amen so you can go eat where you want to eat. When's the last time you struggled and you You strived in prayer. When you agonized in prayer, Lord, please be with my brothers and sisters who are going through this. When is the last time you hurt when they hurt? Paul is saying, agonize with me in your prayers. He says your motivation ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Based on on the fact that you've called Jesus Lord and he tells you to make petitions for all peoples and to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, based on the, on the lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, agonize in prayer with me. We ought to be agonizing in prayer for one another. Agonizing in pr- Do you know the situation that we got in Crittenden County? Do you know the situation that we got in the United States of America? It doesn't matter who is in office. It doesn't matter what policies are being made. I want you to understand this. The status of America is not great. All right, there's not going to be a whole lot of amens there, but I'm cool with it. The status of America is not great. We call everything wrong. We label it right. Uh, The people who who claim uh, that we're Christians and serve the Lord aren't willing to live the example in the workplace. Man, it's bad out there. Why aren't we agonizing over that? Why don't you agonize? If Jesus agonized over the world, why aren't we agonizing? If Jesus wept bitterly and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish that I were a mother hen and I could, I could gather you up as my little chicks and take care of you, but you keep leaving me. He agonized over the world. In the garden, he, he bled. He sweated blood. 
because of what he was about to endure and the condition of the world. Why aren't we agonizing in prayer? We ought to be men and women who agonize in prayer. Paul says that I would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea so that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and so that he can go to Spain and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, agonize in prayer with me. And yet, we don't do that. Can I encourage you, church, to learn with me, as I'm learning, to agonize in prayer? God, would you save West Memphis? I mean... What about all these children that don't have a home? And they say, well, I stay here because they don't have a stable home. What about that? Lord, Lord, will you help us to share the gospel with them? Will you save these children? What about these people who, who have given up and lived lives enslaved by drugs and working, working for gangs and living murderous lives? And don't you desire that they be saved? Why don't you agonize? If it were your child, you'd be agonizing over it. But we have to be agonizing over these people who we are around. Paul says, agonize in your prayer for me that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And this is so that I can come to you and then go to Spain. Agonize in prayer. Strive in prayer. Today, I want you to take home four things with you, and that is this, trust in God's providence. He's on his throne. You can have faith that he's working out all things for your good and for his glory. Be people who plan ministry. With your neighbors who've not shared the gospel with, make a plan to talk, talk to them this week. With those people that you've not invested the gospel in, make a plan this week. Prioritize generosity we see this in Paul's life. Please make plans to prioritize generosity. And then finally, strive in prayer. Would you do more than just the, Lord, here's my wish list. I'm done. Would you strive in prayer? Lord, give us West Memphis. Lord, give us Marion. Lord, give us Crittenden County. Lord, we want Arkansas. Lord, we want the... We want the entire United States. We want to see people come to know you in a real and a powerful way, and we're going to agonize over this. Would you join me as I learn to do these things that Paul said to us so that we can have more out of ministry?
Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel, and if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.